Let me read for us Luke 15. We're going to go the whole chapter, so stay with me. I asked Elder Evan, are you sure? He's like, yes, I want the whole thing. I'm like, okay. Luke 15, I'll read from English Standard Version. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear from Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying to Jesus, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. What, what men of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Third story, verse 11. And he said, Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine rose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse, 20, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the, the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has ki killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. And refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Verse 
But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God. All right, welcome to King's Cross. Thank you, Pastor Sangmin. That was a lot to read. Um, before we get started, my name is Evan. Uh, let me say a quick prayer for us. So if you guys would bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's ask for uh, the Lord's help. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. Um, Father, what a good word it is. And Father, I pray that you would really speak to many hearts today, God, that uh, more than lessons and more than stories, God, that uh, one thing would happen, Lord, that your goodness, uh, your faithfulness, your love for us could really be displayed in this passage, God, and that you would receive glory. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would open up hearts to listen and uh, to get to know more about your son, Jesus, Lord. So thank you for this time. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When I was young, uh, there was two options if we ever wanted to go somewhere. We could ride our bike or we would walk. We walked so much that one of my best friends when I was young, his name was Marcus, he would, he would call it the Ankle Express, right? He said we'd take the Ankle Express and we would walk to wherever we would have to go. But walking allowed us to have a good sense of direction at a very early age. We would remember the way a building looked with red bricks and we knew we had to turn right there. Or we would see a tree with some funny branches and we would know, okay, that's the tree, that, that was a landmark. So since we were young, we had a good eye to look for landmarks, read street signs. And getting lost was a very, very rare thing. Uh, one Saturday morning, I remember that uh, I was playing outside uh, with one of my friends, his name was Chris. Chris was a little bit older than me, and he asked me, what are you doing today? And I was just like, I'm just going to hang out with you. And he's like, cool. He says, we're going to go on a trip today, and we're going to go to a different neighborhood. Uh, this neighborhood was a little bit further away, and you guys can guess, we just ended up walking. So we walked for about an hour, hour and a half, to this new neighborhood, uh, and we spent a whole day there. And I remember we played, played games, played outside. It was a good day. But when I was young, I had a rule that I had to follow. I could go anywhere. I could do anything I wanted. But my mom said, just make sure you come home before it's dark. And at that time, it was probably turning about 4.35. It was the summertime, and I remember it was getting dark. My friend Chris, was, he decided to spend the night at his friend's house, but now I had to make my way back home. I was pretty confident because I didn't get lost, so I was like, okay, I know the way. I'm going to make it home. So as I started my journey back home, I looked for a landmark. Uh, if you grew up near Washington, D.C. or Virginia, there's a big road out there called Lee Highway. And I remember I got to Lee Highway, I saw the street sign, and I knew that if I took Lee Highway, that eventually it would take me close to where I needed to be, close to getting home. So that's what I did. I took a turn down Lee Highway. I started walking. An hour passed. Another 30 minutes passed. 
And I started to look around, and things didn't look really familiar. But I wasn't really worried, so I kept walking. And I knew that if I just followed this road, something I knew would pop up. Another hour went by, and the surroundings totally changed. And at this point, a deep sense of being disorientated and lost sunk in. And I knew that I was in a little bit of trouble. At this point, I remember in my young mind, I had two options. Number one, turn around and go back down Lee Highway. There'd be another two-hour walk, and it was getting dark. Option B was to go with my original plan and continue to walk down Lee Highway, hoping that I would find something. I was young, I was adventurous, maybe a little bit foolish, so I went with option B. I continued walking down Lee Highway, just hoping that I would see something familiar. Another hour went by, and eventually Lee Highway ended. And at the end, I see across the horizon the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. <laughs> I had walked completely the wrong way, and now I knew that I was in trouble. It was getting dark, and I didn't know how to get home. So I remembered, okay, I was like, I got to find a payphone. We didn't have cell phones back then. And I didn't have any money. I was a kid. Uh, but I knew if you get to a payphone, you could hit zero and dial collect. And I was going to collect, call my mom at work. And I, I needed her to come and save me and to rescue me. So I found a payphone. I got there. And I called my mom. Let me pause this story really quickly right there. The idea of being disorientated and lost is a feeling I think that we've all experienced at one point. Some of you guys sitting here today feel lost and disorientated. Maybe you went down the wrong road intentionally, some of you guys unintentionally, but you find yourself in a place where things quite aren't right. Not sure where to go, which way to keep going. If that is you, then I'm going to say you're in the right place today. Uh, we welcome you here today. And I want to assure you that you are not alone. Others of you today, perhaps, everything is going right. You don't have that sense of being lost. Life is going the way that it should be going. But as we look at scripture today... I pray, as I was praying for you guys this week, that your hearts would open, be open to listen to this story. Because we're going to see that sometimes, even when things are going right, that we can be lost and not know it. Today we're going to look at scripture. Pastor Sangrin did a great job of reading all of chapter 15. And it's a long chapter. And I'm going to divide it into three parts so that it will be organized neatly for you guys to follow. So the first part we're going to talk about is this idea of being lost and knowing it. Part two, we're going to look at this uh, section called lost and you don't know it. And then part three, we're going to look at what it means to be found. So three kind of simple sections to organize. Before we jump into the text, uh, I want to give props to uh, some books that were helpful. So, of course, the ESV version that Pastor Sangrin read of uh, Luke 15 was extremely helpful as I meditated on the text. 
Uh, the new international commentary on the New Testament, uh, there's the Gospel of Luke by Joel Green. That was helpful in looking at some of the Greek. Uh, and then The Prodigal God, a book by uh, Dr. Tim Keller. It's an amazing book, and I recommend it. He wrote a whole book on this chapter. It's a book that I've done Bible studies with that I, I used to buy a couple of them and just give them out as gifts to friends. If you want to borrow my copy, you can come see me afterwards. Uh, but these are some of the books that helped me. When we jump into this text, I'm going to ask you guys to have your Bibles or your apps open, and we're going to be jumping around to Luke chapter 15. But before looking at the story, I want to give you guys some handles, a way to navigate uh, by looking at the context of what is happening in Luke chapter 15. Every good story starts with a setting, a place, and characters. Here in Luke 15, in verse 1, we see that there's a setting, right? There's Jesus, and he's sitting and talking with a group that is identified as sinners, outcasts maybe in society. And as he's doing that, another group is also identified. The other group are the religious people of the time, the Pharisees and the scribes. And we see a conflict brewing because Jesus is over here eating with the sinners, the outcasts. And then the religious leaders of the time, they look at Jesus and they say, they're grumbling. And they're saying, he's eating with them. Now, a nuance that, kinda, that we might not catch is that in the Hebrew world, there was this idea of being clean and holy. And for Jesus to be sitting and talking with sinners and sharing an intimate meal with them meant that Jesus was also unclean. That word unclean, remember, we're going to come back to it and see how it links up in our test. This is going on, and Jesus recognizes what's happening, and he gets up, and he decides to tell three stories, three parables. Last month, we, we went through a whole section on parables, really, really good uh, teachings on uh, parables that Jesus gave. And we're kind of jumping back to parables just for this week. Jesus gives three parables, and these three parables are meant to be taught, read, meditated, and listened to together. They're not separate parables. And he's talking to the audience. You'll see a common theme in these parables. Something was lost. It was recovered. And then you'll see that there's great joy and celebration when that thing was recovered. Not only on earth, but you'll see that the celebration actually extended to the heavens, right? And then there's this curious line that says, in heaven, there's going to be great rejoicing when a sinner repents. You'll see that in the story of the lost sheep. Then you also will see that echoed in the second parable of the lost coin. Each other parables also have this heightened sense of value. What do I mean by that? If you look in the parable of the lost sheep, there's one sheep out of 100 that goes missing, right? And Jesus is talking to his audience that, you know, valued sheep in that society. And he says, even if one sheep is gone, wouldn't you agree that it's valuable, and everyone in the audience, whether you're religious or you're a sinner, they, they would nod their head. Yeah, even one sheep, one out of a hundred. And if you found that sheep, wouldn't there be great rejoicing? And they're nodding their head. And then he goes, well, let me tell you another story. A woman had not a hundred sheep, but she had ten coins. 
And even if she lost one of those, so the value from 1% to 10%, one out of 10, now there's a heightened sense of value. He goes, even if, if she lost one coin and she found it, how much celebration would there be? Again, the whole audience is nodding their head and saying, yeah, you're probably right. And then Jesus gets to the main story that we're going to look at today. And he says, a man had two sons. And one of them's lost. The, the audience is set up, right? They're, they're ready to agree with what Jesus is saying. And now they're listening intently to what he says. So let's jump to the text. So first section, lost, and he knows it. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young son gathered all he had and he took a journey to a far country. A man has two sons and the youngest one does something that's unthinkable. He asks for his inheritance before his father even dies. This brings, not only in that culture, but even in today's culture, that would bring great dishonor, shame to the father. And what the son is doing is now he is alienating himself from his family, and it's an act of independence. I no longer want to submit to my father's house. I will be the Lord and the king of my life. Surprisingly, in the story, the father agrees to give him his portion, and this son leaves. He is lost. Now, to the Hebrew audience and the world that is listening at the time, they know that this younger son is much worse than just lost. He is dead. Without a family, right, going off on his own, he is dead to the family and dead to that society. The son has chosen his path. He wants the father's goods. He wants his wealth and isn't afraid to go out on his own. And he takes a road that takes him down what seems like probably to him at that point a life of freedom, a life of uh, joy and fun perhaps, lavish living, partying, being in control of his own life, being the king. But that road always eventually ends, doesn't it? And as this young son is in a faraway land, he hits a very, very low point. Are some of you guys today at that low point where the road ends? See, in this parable, the son has gone the wrong way in life. He finds himself in one of the worst possible situations. He has no more money. He has no more food. He has no more family. So low that actually he's working in a job that is feeding pigs, and he's sitting there daydreaming about what the pigs eat. Now, again, to the, to the Jewish audience at that time, they would know that, you know, pigs were considered unclean, right? And there's a link that's being made there, right, with the younger son and one group in the audience. Jesus is intentionally linking them, the younger son and the audience that were the outcasts and the sinners. There's a link being made there. His wrong choice in life, his wanting to take over the position of his father, saying what I know best 
that he is going to be the king leads him to a life of chaos. Now, now the, the applicable question for us today is how many of us make that same choice? What do I mean? When we look at our life, we know that we've made some bad choices. Maybe we're making bad choices now. But when we look at our life, is it chaotic? Do you have a sense of feeling lost, not sure of what you're doing and where you're at in life? And you're looking for a way out. Maybe you're here in Korea and you're not sure what's next. Maybe something brought you here and maybe you made some choices, but now things are confusing. Maybe you're in a relationship, a relationship that's falling apart, perhaps a marriage, and you're not sure what to do. Work, school, career, friendships, they've all become a dead end. Some of you guys here today are so entangled in sin that it seems impossible to get out. See, if life has become a mess, let me suggest two things from this text that may help us when we look at the younger son. So the two things are, number one, we're going to look at how he returns. I'm sorry, number one, we're going to look at what he remembers. And number two, we're going to look at how he returns. So remembers and returns. Verse 17, the younger son, when he came to himself, that's the verse right there, when he came to himself, suggesting that, you know, he's become sane again, he's thinking clearly, the son remembers something about his father. Ultimately, he remembers that his father was good, that his father is trustworthy, that his father is compassionate, and that even if he were to submit himself, not as a son, but as a slave, that that would be a much better choice in life than where he is now. He remembers his father. One, one thing that's interesting is when I think about my parents and when I did something bad, I, I would think, oh my God, my mom is going to kill me. Right? But this son doesn't ever think that. Even after all the shame, disgrace he put upon his father in rejecting him, he still remembers that his father is good. My question to you, church, today is do you believe, do you remember that our Father in heaven is good? Number two, he returns. He says, I will arise. This is what Joel Green says in his commentary. He says, it is the son's return, not his confession, that makes this reconciliation possible. So what does he mean by that? Before the actual confession, before the action of doing something, there's a return that he's decided upon in his heart. The Hebrew audience knew very, very well the idea of returning. There's a Hebrew word, the concept is uh, described in this Hebrew word, shava, And it just means to return. And whenever that word is used in the Old Testament, in the English translation, it's translated to be repent, repentance. Um, I remember when I was in seminary with uh, Pastor John, he's in the States now, we would stay up sometimes and we would just talk about different things all the time. I really enjoyed that time with John. 
And I remember one time after a class, he was, maybe it was a Greek class that he was taking, uh, and we were talking about the day, and he was telling me about this concept of repentance. And he shared, with, shared it with you guys before, I believe. And he was so excited, and, and I was eager to listen, and he would say, you know, when, when we look at the word repent, he says, imagine you're in a desert. No food, no water, and you got to find your way out. So you pick the best direction and you walk for days. And all of a sudden, you realize you've been going the wrong way. And he said, biblical repentance is like this. When you turn and you return back to the way that you've come, as if your life depended on it. Meaning there was no option to look the wrong way anymore. It was one way or that was it, right? And when we think about returning or repentance, this is kind of a biblical picture of what it is. And, what, and where does that start? Where does that decision start? It starts in the heart. And the younger son, he does that and he returns. He repents and he goes back the other way. When the younger son does return, everything that he remembers about the father is true. His father is good, compassionate, but it's even better than he imagined, right? He was thinking, you know, maybe my father will make me a slave, but his father's compassion and his love for him is much greater than even he could imagine. When he returns, his father, there's, there's a, you know, Jesus tells the story wonderfully. His father sees him from a, a faraway distance, and he doesn't wait for his son to come. He actually runs to his son. It's, it's one of the most beautiful images whenever I think of this passage of the father running to the son. And even before the son could confess and fully apologize, and he's prepared to speech, the father gives him the robe, he gives him his ring, and he restores his status as a son. It's a, a great picture of a father's love. You know, what, sometimes we are lost in life, and we know it. And when we look at this text, we can see that when we remember the goodness of the father, it will help our hearts to return. Let's go to the second section. Spend a few minutes there. Lost, and he doesn't know it. You know, I teach at a university Every once in a while, uh, I'll have a semester, or one of my professors that I teach will have a semester where we have a student that is the model student, perfect student, participates in class well, does all of the assignments, um, comes to every class, asks good questions, and it gets to the point halfway in the semester, it's the midterm, and we have to assign uh, exam times for certain students. And then you'll get an email or they'll come up to you after class and say, Professor, you have not assigned me to an exam time. And then you look up their name, and then it's not there. They were in the wrong class half of the semester. They did all the work. They did what they were supposed to do, but in the wrong place, lost and, and didn't know it. Oftentimes, too, we... Do all the right things in life, good worker, good husband, 
go to church every Sunday. But this text is going to point out this fact that we actually, even if we're doing the right things, sometimes we're lost. Let me unpack what that means. So we're going to look at, again, at the parable, the third parable. But now the scene shifts. As the younger son returns, it's going to shift to the older or the elder son. The father in the story throws a great celebration. You see his great compassion and love for the younger son. But he's still, his compassion and love, as great as it is for the younger son, it's the same for the older, the elder son. And he sees that the elder son is upset. He approaches him, and he has a talk with him. The elder son is extremely angry. I've been responsible, obedient. I've done everything right. But... You kill a fattened calf for the younger son who has, you know, gone against you, Father. He's angry. When we look at the elder son, we notice that even though he does everything right, he's missing the point. His heart is not aligned with the Father. Let's jump back to the beginning again, the audience, right? So we have the sinners in the audience, and then we have also the religious leaders of the time. And right now what Jesus is doing, he's linking the elder brother with the religious leaders of the time, right? They've done everything perfectly. They follow the laws. They do all the rituals to stay clean, right? On the outside, They're doing everything right. But Jesus is pointing out a fact to the audience that even on the outside, if you do everything right, that there can be something wrong. See, both groups in the audience that day, both sons, are missing something, right? They want something from the father, but Tim Keller points out that they don't want the father. They want his goods, but they don't want him. Now, th- this, is, this section of the uh, parable is a challenging uh, section for a lot of the people in the church today. Because the question that it really asks is, today, as Christians, if you're a Christian, you're responsible, you're obedient, you come to church, King's Cross every week, you serve, but somehow along the lo- way, has your heart become misaligned with the Father's heart? See, we become so good as Christians going through the actions, right? Saying the right things. But the same problem that is the problem of the religious leaders of that day is the same problem that are in many churches today. You see, let's look a little bit at what that issue is. When we look at the elder brother's lostness, It's characterized by anger, resentment. There's two observations that I want to point out now when we look at the elder brother. Number one, he has uh, an issue with performance-based control, meaning duty. Number two, he lacks joy. Uh, Listen to what Tim Keller writes. He says, the first sign that you have an elder brother's spirit is when life doesn't go the way you want, you aren't just sorrowful, but you are deeply angry and bitter. 
The elder brother believes that if they live a good life, then they should get a good life. That God owes them a smooth road if they try very hard to live up to the standards. In other words, the elder brothers, he, the elder brother bases his life on his performance and his duties on reaching a certain standard. See, there's a real danger when we place our worth or just our, on just our performance of being morally good. Because the thing that happens is then how do you start viewing the people who don't do what you do? Who don't live up to your standards? Have you ever felt judgmental of someone in the church? I'm doing more. They're not doing anything. Why can't that person serve too? Is he really a Christian? Is there gossip and judging in the church today? I don't know about you, but when I look at this list, then I, I'm convicted. Because a lot of these things I have done and I do. Number two, lack of joy. The elder brother has lack of joy. In every parable, when something that is lost is found, then there's great rejoicing and celebration. The elder brother has only anger and resentment. He has no joy. A month ago, Pastor Sangman gave a good sermon on what it means to have joy, right? And the elder brother, he looks at his life and there's no joy. When you look at your life, do you lack joy? Do you just do things because you're supposed to, but there's no joy? See, God wants us to do things that are good, but he wants us to do it with a joy and knowing that these things please the Father. An interesting question that I have for you guys that Tim Keller uh, points out is, why did the younger brother want to leave so badly? Why did he want to leave so badly? Yeah, part of the reason is probably because he wanted to, you know, have control of his life. But could you imagine what it was like to live with an older brother who's judgmental, that does all the good things, right, but lacks joy, right? What would it be to live uh, with a brother like that? The older brother is ultimately motivated by his self-centeredness. Right? He does these things, but he does it for himself, not for the father. We know this because in the statement, he tells the father, where's my fattened calf? Right? Where's the things that I've earned? A question for us today is, why do so many younger brothers, people who are lost, either leave the church or, or refuse to go? There's a lot of people out there that, are, that don't know God. But when they think about the church, it's, it's not a place that they want to go. And this is a question, as I prepared and I was thinking about it, it really stings, right? See, there's a, really, a real danger for Christians to go through the motions to do things. But in their heart, there's, they become lost, 
Well, how do you realign your heart? What would the compassionate, rejoicing elder brother have done when the younger brother left? Think about that. We're going to come back to that question. But think about what, what a good brother would have done. Let me go to my last section, found. Both brothers are lost. One knows it. One doesn't. And here are the applications so far for today, right? Remember, repent, and return. Don't be like the elder brother. Um, let go of controlling things through your performance. Rejoice and be compassionate. So here's a list of things for you guys to do this week. And you will be found. That's not the answer. Because if you just do that list, then now again, you're, you're just earning. You're finding your own way. You're just trying to fix things. But the reality is, and scripture is very clear on this, is that we can't do it on our own. On our own, we cannot be found. We need someone to come and get us. The application every week at King's Cross is not do these things, but it's instead look to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, in the story in the beginning, uh, my mom did end up coming to pick me up. Uh, she finished work late that night, and then she had to drive almost to Washington, D.C. Uh, she didn't ask me a lot of questions. You know, she, she just knew that I needed help, and I told her I got lost. And, you know, I don't remember a lot from that night. It was, it was too long ago. She probably bought me McDonald's. It was such a treat back then if you got McDonald's. Um, and I remember just being happy. I like to imagine that when I got home, that my, I have an older brother, that he was worried. And I like to imagine that he went out and he looked for me. <laughs> I'm not sure. And I asked him, and he doesn't really remember the story, right? Maybe he just didn't even know I was gone. Um, but I do remember just the feeling of being so happy that I was no longer lost and that someone had come and saved me. There's another son in this story. When we look at this parable, right? There's the younger son. There's the, the elder son. But there's also the son who's telling the story, Jesus. Jesus is the true elder brother. So the question I asked you guys would, what would the compassionate, rejoicing elder brother have done? He would have gone and looked for the younger brother. Brothers and sisters, we have an older brother who has come to save us and look for us. Jesus was the true eldest son, our older brother. He has left his father's home in heaven. He's gone to a far off land, earth. He dwelled among us so that God's sons and daughters could return home. He came and got us. But this return ticket had a great cost. God's firstborn of all creation, everything was made for and through him, we learned last week. God's beloved son goes to the cross and suffers and he dies as a ransom for our return. We don't do anything, but Jesus does everything. And that's what we call good news. You know, whenever a parent talks about their kids, 
Uh, I, I know parents complain sometimes too, but when they're, when they're talking about, you know, when they're proud of their kids, you can see their face changes. They light up. You can tell how much they love them. You ever want to know how much God loves you? Just got to open up scripture and look at the way God talks about his son, Jesus. Let me explain what that means. So when we look at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, whenever God talks about Jesus, it's always kind of the same scene. The heavens open up, you hear the audible voice of God, and he says, this is my beloved son who I'm well pleased. God announces it to the world that he loves his son, Jesus. How many of us want to, you know, want to hear those words from our parents, right? This is someone, you know, this is my son. I love him and I'm pleased. God loves his son, Jesus. But the very same God asks and he sends his beloved son, Jesus, to earth to die so that we can be adopted into his family as sons and daughters. What does that tell you about God's love for you? Jesus, God's beloved son, goes to the cross and he dies so that you and me and everyone that looks at the cross of Jesus believes and will be accepted and can go home again. This is good news. This is the gospel. That God so loved the world that he sent his own son. And Jesus, the good older brother, for the joy set before him, rejoicing, he endures the great wrath of God against sin and the cross He takes the judgment that we all deserve. The application is easy. Every week is fix your eyes on Jesus and the gospel. That Jesus, the true elder brother, has come for us because we couldn't do anything to find our way back home. And this is the only thing, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, the only thing that's going to break the idols in our life, the sins, the anger, the hurt, It's what changes our heart. My challenge to you this week is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Think about God's love for you. Think about Jesus, the true elder brother who's come for us. Think about the great cost, the great love, and the grace. If you dwell in that place, then something magical will start happening. Your heart that has been hardened and broken because of sin will start to soften and heal. And as your heart fills up because of the gospel, then you will be able to do things. Remember, you'd be able to repent. You'll be able to have joy in your life and be compassionate, not because of duty, but because of a new heart. Let's pray, church. Father, thank you for your word today, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us wherever we are in our life. Maybe there's some people here today that are lost and are looking for a way out, are looking for someone to come save them, Father. And I pray that you would open their hearts and that you would meet them, whether they're suffering or their life is a mess, God. That right now I lift them up to you and I pray that Jesus, that you would come with clarity and that you would really show them how much you care and that you've come for them, Lord. I pray for others in this audience, Lord, who have been Christians for a long time 
and that we've got used to doing and going through the actions. And it happens to all of us where our hearts get misaligned and we start forgetting that this thing is not all about us, God, but it's really about knowing your heart and your love for people. Father, may you make that clear through your Holy Spirit, Jesus. Father, I pray this week that you would be with us, that you would give us moments to meditate on your son, Jesus Christ, uh, and that in that there would be healing and a restoration, and your name would be lifted high, and that, God, that we would see you as the good, compassionate, loving Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.